Matthew chapter 24. I titled the message, no I didn't, ah, 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 but I do have a quote from Johnny Trevino. I know that guy. I'll share it. I'll share it with you. I'll share it with you. Can't tell you yet again. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask your blessing upon this time that we have together. Thank you, Lord, for just the family of God and one another that we can um, just come together, Lord, and pray for one another. We lift one another up throughout our week and so we thank you for the body and uh, just the people that you've allowed us to interact with on a weekly basis, Lord. Bless now, Lord, just this time that we have together and speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, eschatology is a word that means what? So it's the study of future things, study of the end times, eschatology. Um, what percentage of the Bible is prophetic, meaning future stuff? Anybody know? It's about a third. It's about a third. So is that a lot of Bible or a little bit of Bible? That's a lot of Bible, right? When I was first saved um, and I would hear studies on prophecy, they would go over my head. I would be a deer caught in the headlights. Um, you know, like something would kind of get in a little bit, but most of it would just be lost. I always say it's kind of like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. You know something got in, but uh, you're not sure what, how much. You're all drenched, you know, standing in front of the fire hydrant trying to get some water. But So I noticed as time has gone on, um, man, I like, learning and studying prophecy. And the only reason why I like it so much now as opposed to when I was a brand new Christian is because I actually understand some of it. Where before, it was like, well, when's, when's that going to... How did that... When did that one come first? Or is that one third? Or what order? Oh my gosh. That's some crazy stuff. And so now, um, prophecy is uh, a little more... Uh, no, a lot more interesting to me. And, of course, there's different views on it because, you know, there's different timelines of stuff and ideas. But today, we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus finds himself on the Mount of Olives. Remember last week, we studied chapter 23, and Jesus has... He's not even talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes anymore, the religious leaders... He used them as an example of what not to do to the multitudes and to his disciples in chapter 23. And then he ends 23 with, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who stones and kills the prophets. How often I wanted to take you as a mother hen would take her chicks under her wings. That right there is one part of just the whole message of the Bible, right? God's desire is to take everybody under his wings. And just to protect us and to love on us. But you were not willing, the next part of that says. And that's kind of the state of humanity right now, right? Most of humanity is not willing. They don't want God. And then um, he says, but recognize that you're going to be left desolate. It's just not going to be good because you've rejected the only solution. And unfortunately, that's going to be the result of people who reject Christ. So... We pick it up uh, uh, there, and 
I'm going to give you the outline of the chapter, and then we'll read it, and I'll, I'll comment on it, and then we'll kind of make some points. And if throughout what we're reading you have any questions, just go ahead and stop and, and just throw it out there, because um, some of it will make sense, and probably like me when I was a young Christian, some of it will be a little over again. But let me explain to you what's going to happen. So Jesus is going to be walking with his disciples, and they're going to observe the temple and its beauty. And they're going to comment to Jesus that, man, this is a beautiful temple. And Jesus is going to say, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And so the destruction of the temple is what Jesus is saying is going to happen. That happens in 70 AD, right? Uh, Jerusalem is sieged. The Emperor Titus comes in. And an accident happens. Somebody shoots an arrow that's on fire in the temple and all the gold melts in the cracks and the crevices of the bricks. And gold is, you know, it's worth something, right? So for them to be able to get the gold, they take the temple apart brick by brick, scraping the gold and saving it because it has value. And so Jesus' prophecy comes true uh, to the T. Not one stone would be left upon another. And that would be 70 AD. Um... So then they say, tell us when, the disciples tell Jesus, tell us when these things are going to happen and what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. He doesn't say the end of the world, they say the end of the age. And so Jesus goes into basically explaining what's going to happen and what signs are going to preclude or pre prelude um, his coming. But those aren't the things that you're to look for. And, and I find it interesting because I remember... As a young Christian, every time there was an earthquake, people were like, Sign of the times! See, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I think that's cool, but Jesus said, These things are going to happen. And that doesn't mean I'm coming. That means I'm getting close to coming. And, and earthquakes and pestilence and all this stuff that we're going to read about. Um, and we'll see how he, exactly how he says it. But I remember that. Um, and then he goes into um, two different aspects of the second coming. Of Jesus Christ that we're going to look at and then he shares some parables and the parables have to do with the end time scenario so that's kind of how the chapter goes and this is a quote from Johnny Tribune if your eschatology doesn't cause you to live with the imminent return of Christ in mind either you don't believe what you say you do or you must change your eschatology in other words I believe that the Bible has taught once Christ ascended that he wanted Christians in every era to live with the fact that he could come back in their lifetime. And if you believe something that is different, then Jesus could come back at any moment and that you need to be awaiting his coming, then fix your eschatology. Or if you're not living like Jesus could come back at any moment, then something needs to change. And I think that's important. How we treat people. How we talk to people. How we, you know, take serious the things of God. Right? Is demonstrated not in what we say, but in what we do. What we think. What we say. So it's more than just what we say. Okay? Any questions on any of that? And of course, that quote comes from other people that I've heard say stuff like that. I just threw it all together. So it's not like I made it up. You're like, I've heard that quote before. Nothing I say is original. Matthew 24, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up 
to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age is very important. It's not the end of the world, but the end of the epoch. The end of this dispensation. The end of the Jews. This is a very Jewish chapter. A Jewish rabbi, Jesus, is speaking to a group of Jews that are asking a question about Israel. Very important that we understand that. We're going to see us in this section, but a very small section of it. This is predominantly for the nation of Israel. The only way you understand this is if you understand the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And both of those books are extremely prophetic, future things. The Old Testament prophecies were a lot of closed prophecies. The book of Revelation is an open book. It's there for us to understand. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with a built-in blessing for those who read hear, and then obviously obey. So, you should read Revelation once in a while. Or you should be sitting under somebody teaching the book of Revelation once in a while. It's a good book to read. A tough book to get through. I do agree. But the more you read it, the more you're going to understand, wow, this is some interesting stuff. And you're going to be able, little by little, if you can build layers of information upon the foundation of your faith, then the Lord's able to pull from things that are already there. And so that's, I think, for all of us. Verse 4. Go ahead. I've read the book of Revelation several times, and one thing I've realized is there's a lot of things that I don't, I didn't catch the first time I read it, but like every time I read it, a little bit more is revealed to me. And the, hence the name Revelation. It kind of like, like, oh, that's why it's called Revelation. Because you, you don't always get it like the first time you read it. You, it's like you get more things revealed to you every time you read it. You understand it a little more. And remember, the Bible's uh, you know a living book, alive, right? <clears throat> the Bible says of itself that, that it's alive. Uh, the Word of God is, is alive. What does it say? Active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God is living and active. There you go. In the book of Hebrews. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. What's the first thing that Jesus warns them about? Deception. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Pastor Chuck talked about this guy who went to a Bible college of all places, a liberal Bible college in, I want to say Montclair. And the dude was ready to commit suicide because he didn't know what he believed anymore because they had confused him more than they helped him. And somehow he got a hold of Pastor Chuck Smith. Pastor Chuck was able to help him through and then the dude got kind of straight on what he believed. There's some junk out there. And we got to, you know, we got to be discerning. The Bible in its context is, is definitely what one. So Jesus gives us a warning. Take heed that no one deceives you. <clears throat> For many will come in my name, <clears throat> saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. Uh, the name of Jesus is very important. Today you could probably talk to people about God, but you mentioned Jesus and all of a sudden it's different. You notice that? But Jesus of himself said, hey, you believe in God? Remember John 14 verse 1? Believe also in me. People talk about God, but Jesus is that name that saves. Jesus is that, that, that separator of truth and lies. 
First John was written for that whole subject. There are a group of people that had it not just all twisted, but you don't have the Father if you don't have the Son. Very important. So deception is going to come, and that deception is going to be people saying coming in the name of Jesus, the name of Christ, um, and they'll deceive many. Verse six, and you will hear loath. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. And so, yes, we're going to see wars. We're going to see rumors of wars. We're going to see these different things. But that doesn't mean, there's a war. That means it's going to end. Calm down. Who give us the signs here? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. What's the word sorrows translated to in the Greek? Anybody know? Birth pains. So if a woman goes into labor and she finds herself labor pains, I don't know, five hours apart, do we rush into the hospital? Yeah, if you want to sit there for two days or a day down, right? Anybody who's been around anybody in labor, five hours separated labor pains. Now, if those labor pains are two minutes apart, we might want to start, yeah, that's a little serious. We better make some phone calls. It would be like I Love Lucy. Remember when she has the bag? <laughs> Honey, it's time. And they rehearse it and everything, if you've seen I Love Lucy. Um, but nonetheless, yeah. Birth pains is, so what he's saying is, these things will happen, but they're going to grow in intensity and closer together. And if you do a study of earthquakes, and these things that he's naming here, you will see historically that they're getting closer together and they're growing in intensity. It's crazy. You can do a study, you, you know, outside of the Bible. Just look that up and you'll see that. Pretty trippy. So again, okay, so we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Whoa, it's happening with more frequency. Whoa, bigger earthquakes. Okay, all right. So, all right, something's happening, right? For um, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Definitely see that taking place today. Just there's some cold-blooded stuff going on out there. There's some stuff that man. It hurts. It hurts to watch where humanity has gone. I saw a post about two weeks ago. I, can't, I don't even want to mention it. But it just left me. Ah, oh, Lord. Ah, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. That's cold-blooded right there. And it was, it was to an animal. But I just, oh, it just, it hurt my heart. Like, it's inside. I was like, ah. Oh. People are just so cold right now. So it's a trip as you see that. Um, then that was verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. That's very, very significant. So in the earlier days of Christianity, 
this scripture was taught that we need to get the gospel to all the world to usher in the coming or the second coming of Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to come until this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to the nations and then the end will come, right? If you know anything about the book of Revelation, if you know anything about the book of Daniel in the 70th week of Daniel, you'll know exactly what this means. Trip. We'll get to it. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetops not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him, him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those, thing, those days will be shortened. And that day, those days will be short. It doesn't mean that, okay, we're going to go from a 24-hour day to a 22-hour day. Those days will be short. It means it's going to come to an end. That it's not going to be forever. That three and a half year period is not going to last forever. The days are going to be short in the sense that it's a specific time period. Okay? Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes <coughs> to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. So this second coming of Jesus Christ will be visual to the extent that everybody is going to see it. That's important for us to understand. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Alright. So he mentions as he picks up verse 15. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Standing in the holy place. Let the reader beware. Right? Let him who reads understand. Daniel chapter 9 27 through 24 through 27 is the prophet, prophecy of the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is Antiochus Epiphanes going into the temple, sacrificing a pig on the altar, spreading the blood all over the temple. Abomination. That's abominable. That's a disrespect. That's a high disregard for things holy. And so that happened. From the last prophet Malachi to the last, the first New Testament, or the last prophet really in the series, John the Baptist, there was 400 years of silence. That happened in that 400 years of silence. Okay? That exact event. That was a picture or a foreshadow 
of the ultimate abomination of desolation. The ultimate abomination of desolation is going to be the Antichrist, a man, a person, who will be possessed by Satan himself. And he will set or sign a treaty with the nation of Israel and bring this peace to the Middle East that has never really existed, right? We see them right now, just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff, right? And he's going to somehow have, man, just eloquence in these words. And people are going to just buy it. And he's going to be able to come and just unite, bring this false peace treaty, and somehow it's going to work. There's going to be a new temple built, and that temple's going to be offering sacrifices. But after the three and a half years of the signing of that treaty, he is going to actually go into the temple and demand that the nation of Israel worship him as God. That will be the abomination of desolation. At that point, the eyes of Israel will then once again be opened to the fact that Jesus is their Messiah. Crazy! God will use the seven-year tribulation period to be able to bring back the nation of Israel to himself. The church age would pretty much have come to an end. And where will the church be? Raptured in heaven at the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. Then we will come back with the Lord in the visual second coming of Christ where every eye will see. But the rapture of the church is an invisible thing. It's a, it's a thing that nobody, nobody knows the day or the hour, right? And that is like the thief in the night. That's why we, the church, need to be ready because that can happen at any time. He gives a parable of the fig tree, and I've heard this spoken of in a way. Can you put it up? Or will it just still hurt? Yeah, I just... Okay. Uh, it might, it's probably good for a little bit. Okay. It'll hurt me this way, too. Give it two minutes. Thank you. Verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Again, many have used this parable knowing that fig tree is a symbol of Israel, and this generation, a generation is 40 years, no, generation is 50 years, no, generation is 60 years, no, generation is 70 years, no, generation is 100 years, and all of those are true. You can find proof that a generation is 40, 50, 60, 70, or 100 years. But, but what is he saying? He's using the parable of the fig tree to say that, hey, a fig tree, when you see it beginning to blossom, it's just a matter of time before the fruit comes. And I think that's all he's really trying to say here through this parable of the fig tree. When you see these things start to happening, hey, some fruit is about to happen. So, you know, God's about to do something. And so I think people maybe have read into this one way too much. There's a group of people called preterists. Preterist, the doctrine of preterism, or I don't know what, preterist. And they believe that all of this stuff was fulfilled in 70 AD. But it can't. It can't. Because Jesus said specifically that this great tribulation will be like the world has never seen, nor no, nor ever will see. And if you read the book of Revelation and you see the catastrophic things that are going to take place in the second half of the tribulation period, you will see, whoa, whoa, 
That's some, whoo, that's some crazy catastrophic stuff that's happening on earth. Symbolically, no. None of this is symbolic. This stuff is real. Like, this stuff is literally going to take place. When Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, he read it literally. And he said, whoa, 70 years are determined. Captivity Babylon, we're on year 60. Whoa, the 70 year captivity is about to come to an end. Did he read it figuratively? No, he read it literally. It's always literal. And people who always try to symbolically and figuratively stuff in the Bible, they always get in trouble. God says what he means and he means what he says. Obviously, when Jesus says he's a door, that's figurative. figurative. But what is he saying? I'm the way to walk through. I'm the way to... I don't have a, I don't have a ding dong, right? A, what, what is that called? A, a doorbell. doorbell on my belly button. Right? So, no. He's saying... This is definitely a literal thing here that's going to take place. So we need to be careful. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. What does he mean by that? First of all, no one knows the day or the ark. Why are people always setting dates? Now, this is interesting, because the book of Daniel prophesies that exactly 1,000... Let me see, what's my number? 1,290 days until the end. Here, let me read it to you. Daniel 12, 11 gives additional insights. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days until the end. When the sign is set up, the end may be determined. There will, almost, there will be almost three and a half years... To go until the consummation of all things. Uh, that tells us the exact day or the hour. Doesn't it? After the abomination of desolation, you can count 1,290 days or three and a half years. So is that the coming of Christ? Yes and no. His coming has two parts. The rapture of the church, no one knows that day or the hour. And the second coming of Christ, when everyone's going to see him visibly. And I think, again, that's where people get in trouble. They try to make them one and the same. The rapture of the church will take place sometime before the tribulation period. Why? Because the Bible prophesies that God has not determined um, wrath upon us as the church. He's going to pull us out before that comes. And again, if you say that we're going to come in the middle of the tribulation, okay, I could buy that, but you can't say that we're going to come after the tribulation. You can't. Because you would know the exact day and nobody knows the day or hour. Jesus just said it. Either Jesus is lying and they're telling the truth, or they don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to go ahead and stick with Jesus. Because he says it right there, but of that day and hour no one knows. So if no one knows, then we can't know. And he gives us all these examples of individuals. Verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That is the rapture of the church. That is for us. That is the little tiny part of this entire chapter that is for the church. The thief in the night. Jesus can come back at any moment. Are we living with that hopeful expectation? Or are we saying, 
man, I don't really want him to come right now because, like, I got some stuff to do. Okay, I can, I can kind of see that, but, but guys, we gotta live with this expectancy that Jesus could come, and we want him to come. Nothing that you have on your horizon is greater than Jesus taking you home to be with him forever and ever. And if you think it is, oh, you're mistaken. No, no, I was getting a raise next week, dude. It's like, yeah, okay, you get a million dollar raise. That ain't gonna be better. And a million dollar raise is probably a pretty good thing, but it's not better. So living with the expectancy is going to cause us to bless you, to cause us to live differently than if we didn't expect him to come. And again, it's proven in how we live. Nothing more, nothing less. Who then is that faithful servant, verse 45 says? And wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over his goods. All his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him, off, cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I think it's a pretty stern, serious, sobering warning that Jesus is giving with the parable here of the faithful and evil servant, right? We want to be faithful. By looking for our coming Lord, and looking for our coming Lord is going to cause us to live differently on this earth. Questions, comments, concerns? Uh, I have a question. Uh, uh, Jesus was, he was, Jew, he was uh, Jewish? Yes. Okay, so this is, so I'm, I'm excuse my ignorance, but because I'm just, I don't know, but um, so is it, is it, so being Jewish, or uh, Jewish is kind of like a, I know it's kind of a, it is a religion. Yeah, yeah. So Judaism, or Jewish, is two things. There's Jews that are religious Jews, and then there are Hebrews that we call Jews, right? Right. So ascetic people, is that what the word is? Ascetic people that are from Israel, Palestine, I guess they, some call them, who are Jewish in race. Right. People with the last name Cohen and anything with Stein. Yeah, I hear you on that. Uh, uh, but, but, but basically, what I'm trying to get at is like the difference between Christianity and Judaism, as far as like the Jewish, huh? like how how what what they need to do versus what we need to do to go to heaven. Right. Same thing. They are looking before the cross to the cross to the Messiah and not salvation. We live on the other side of the cross after the cross, so we're looking back to the cross for salvation. They were looking to the Messiah, faith, saying, hey, there's a coming one. We're going to trust in him. We're going to believe in him. That's how they got saved. Even though the animal sacrifices and the blood, that was all year to year. And that was just all, you know, it was holding them until the coming one. The, the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So they get saved the same way we get saved, faith. Looking to the Messiah. We look back. Yeah. And the the the... Race of, of Jews is just people that you know come from that geographical territory, like Mexicans or Puerto Ricans or Salvadorians or uh, <laughs> all those. 
Let me read you 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, speaking of the rapture of the church. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So that's speaking of the rapture of the church. Is the word rapture in the Bible? Yes and no. If you're reading the Latin Bible, it's in, it's in the Latin version, raptuos. The English word is harpazo. Harpazo, that's the, or the Greek word, sorry. The Greek word is harpazo. The English word is rapture. <laughs> or caught up right here. So that word caught up is one word. Harpazo in the Greek, raptuos, from which we get our English word rapture. Just a snatching, a catching up. A sudden, gone. Anybody remember the 70 movies, the, uh, all the, the Left Behind series? Mm-hmm. Horribly done today. If we looked at them, we'd be like, ah, oh, so tacky. But it gives the, it totally gives the picture. And uh, Tim LaHaye, he came up with a series. He wrote a series of books uh, all about the last day stuff. And then they made some movies behind him. Kirk Cameron, I think, was one of the stars way back then that kind of played some of the parts. Uh, um, but a lot of people got saved. Scared the hell out of them. Because they were like, whoa, is that what it's going to be like? I want to be here. Uh, Joshua, yesterday, he shared, um, for the non-believer, you know, this is as good as it gets, this, this horrible, horrendous world. For the Christian, this is as bad as it gets. It's all good from here. So, that's a beautiful thing to think about. It's good stuff. It's just, don't let it overwhelm you. Ultimately, let your eschatology, your study of the end times, Affect your disposition knowing that life on earth is much shorter than eternity and that we're going to heaven soon. Jesus is coming and He could come at any moment. There's nothing that prophetically that's holding the rapture of the church. It can happen at any moment. Because there's no guarantee. People think, well, there's no temple and there has to be sacrifices for the Antichrist to go into the temple. Those are real ducks. Not, not someone's phone, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have somebody at work with that ringtone. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's true. So, so a lot of people think, well, there's no temple. I know that they're getting the elements of the temple together. I know that they're starting to build the temple. But there's no temple, so whew, let's sit. We got time. What? What, what is that? Like, no. Who says that there has to be a temple? There could be the rapture of the church. And eight years later, we can start the tribulation period. There's no, like, guarantee that the rapture of the church and then the next day starts the tribulation or the next moment. The Bible doesn't teach that. But we know that the tribulation is going to be after the rapture of the church because we believe that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. And, but you don't have to believe that, but I think the Bible teaches it pretty clear. If you're, I don't know, it's a little bit of trivia, trivia I guess, but... I. If you read Daniel 7, 4, it talks about the eagle breaking off of the lion. And they put that symbolically of the United States breaking away from England. And the date is July the 4th. I always found that interesting. Yeah. America is a very interesting. Because we were so powerful at one point, the most powerful nation in the world. I think we're losing some of that. Um, and so we just thought we were the center of the universe. And 
we're not. Nobody on earth is centered. Jesus is centered in the universe. And so we just thought, I think we were a little more significant and important than we really were. And that's why they're like, well, where, where's American prophecy? And they, look, they looked for stuff. And it's like, who the heck are we? 200-year-old little nothing blip on the screen. That's 6,000 years of, of humanity and world history. So just a little dumb, if you ask me. But we think we're something. 